Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. And the honest truth is this, knowing a lot about Jesus isn't the same as knowing Jesus. Being able to explain the Trinity will not save you. Being able to understand Jesus' incarnation will not save you. If your confidence is in a list of things that you have memorized and can articulate and understand, but you don't know Jesus, you don't have a personal relationship with him, you have not put your weight fully on him, it will not save you. Many people that are deceived into believing that their goodness or their acts of kindness will earn them a place in heaven. The Bible says that nothing could be further from the truth. In today's message, Pastor Ricky teaches that all of our religious works, church attendance, biblical knowledge, and human effort can't earn us a right standing with the Lord. The only way we can have a relationship with Jesus is to trust in the free gift of salvation through faith. Put simply, we can't earn God's grace. We simply receive it by faith. Let's join Pastor Ricky now for part two of his message, How to Spot a Forgery, from the book of Philippians, chapter three. So friend, let me ask you, where is your confidence as you relate to God? Where's your confidence? When you come to him in prayer and you think, does he care? Where is your confidence? When you wonder, am I really a Christian? Where is your confidence? And here's what I would submit to you. If your confidence in the Lord is weak, if you feel like, man, well, I can kind of trust him halfway, but I gotta add some other stuff, let me encourage you to revisit the same things we talked about last week, to remember the gospel, to rehearse the gospel, to look again at the cross, to look again at the empty tomb and stop and stare until your confidence in Jesus rises again, until you feel like, you know what? I'm gonna put my full weight on him. That's what Paul is calling us to do here. Section number three, the worthless resume. The worthless resume. Paul says this, though, verse four, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And look, you might think, well, that doesn't sound very humble. Listen, Paul is just being real here. Because these false teachers, they were coming to these Gentile believers and saying, oh, oh, you guys, you just don't understand. We, we are Jewish. We, we understand the, the deep things of the Old Testament. Listen to us. You know, we were brought up in these things. And Paul sweeps all the resumes aside and throws his on the table and says, okay, you want, you want, you want to have the perfect example of confidence in the flesh? Exhibit A, me. I guarantee you, whatever they are, I outstrip them. But he says, listen, this is my resume and it's worthless. It is worthless. I'm gonna give you my full resume, but I put no confidence in any of this stuff. He actually lists his resume to give us a list of things not to trust in instead of Jesus. He's like, don't trust in that stuff, trust in Jesus. So this is the category. These are the categories he goes through. Verse five, I was circumcised on the eighth day. This is the category of religious ritual. Again, this is, circumcision is the ritual everybody would trust. 
If you're a Jewish male, whatever else happened to you in life, you'd still have that. And Paul says, no, I count that as a loss. And it's a charge for us to not trust religious rituals for salvation. The act of coming to church will not save you. The, the fact that you were baptized as a kid will not save you. The fact that one time in summer camp, you went forward and prayed a prayer and there's no fruit in your life, but you think, well, I did that one thing. Religious ritual will not save you. Paul says, I've got it. And it doesn't matter. He says, of the people of Israel. This is the category of political and national identity. Paul identifies himself with God's nation. Listen, in America, there is a lot of God and country stuff that ties together faith and nationality. People walk around thinking that because they know the Pledge of Allegiance and they know the Lord's Prayer, they must be okay with the man upstairs. And Paul is saying, no, I put no confidence in that. He says, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. This is a category of social standing and heritage. We don't get this, but to be a Benjamite meant that you had better standing than the average Israelite, right? You were one of the only two tribes that stayed true to the Davidic kingship. You went into exile together, came out of exile together. They helped resettle Jerusalem. They were there first. Everybody else came later so when you throw out, oh, I'm a Benjamite. Oh, okay, whoa. You, know, you got promoted a little bit faster. People gave you a little more deference. And Paul's saying, don't trust that. Don't trust your social standing. Don't trust the fact that your grandma always said prayers for the family. Don't trust, listen, don't trust the fact that you have grown up going to church and that your parents are Christians. Man, I have a burden for anybody in this church that has grown up in the church. Because, listen, your parents' faith cannot save you. When you stand before the Lord, you cannot offer up your parents' faith or your record of church attendance. It doesn't matter if your parents believe and your grandparents believe and the great-grandparents before that. Praise God for the legacy, but that will not save you. And Paul is saying, put no confidence in that. And then he goes on, as to the law, a Pharisee. This is the category of religious knowledge. The Pharisees were this movement of people who knew the Old Testament laws better than anyone, knew all the traditions that were added to those laws better than anyone, followed them better than anyone. And the honest truth is this, knowing a lot about Jesus isn't the same as knowing Jesus. Being able to explain the Trinity will not save you. Being able to understand Jesus' incarnation will not save you. If your confidence is in a list of things that you have memorized and can articulate and understand, but you don't know Jesus, you don't have a personal relationship with him, you have not put your weight fully on him, it will not save you. Verse six, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. This is the category of religious activity. Paul was out there in front of everyone and it looked like he was doing God's work. All the Jewish people, when he'd walk down the street, would applaud him. Oh yes, look, everybody knows how much he's doing for God. Listen, the fact that you do religious things does not make you more savable or add to your salvation. 
but I give to the poor, but I volunteer, but I do this or that. Praise God, that does nothing to earn you salvation from God. It cannot save you. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. This is the category of moral superiority. Now, it's important to note here, Paul's not saying literally that he's like sinless, that like, I just never sin. I'm like Jesus, me and Jesus. No, what he's saying is that if anyone came and followed him around and took notes and compared his behavior to the law, they wouldn't have any reason to condemn him. They wouldn't have any reason to say, oh, Paul, you slipped up here. You forgot, you forgot part of your tithe. You forgot that one plant that grew late. You, nope, I remembered. I took that. I offered it, right? Now, in his heart, he was still sinful, self-righteous, arrogant, puffed up. But from the outside, he looked great. He could look out at the Jewish culture and the Gentile culture and hold himself up and think, they don't follow the law the way that I do. And yet, he still acknowledges and calls himself in, in Scripture the chief of sinners because he knows his heart. Friends, we cannot think that better morality is the ground by which we will be saved. You think, well, I never uh, cheated on my spouse. I never stole. I, I've heard this one a lot. I never killed anybody. Like, well, that's good. But none of those things get you closer to salvation. All of us, Romans 3 says, according to Paul, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. There is no unrighteous, no, not one. Those things will not justify you before God. And Paul says, I put no confidence in any of this resume. For the purposes of salvation or the ground of my relationship with God, this is worthless. I far outstrip all these Judaizers, and yet this best resume doesn't get me any closer to salvation. It cannot. Isaiah 64, 6 calls our righteous deeds filthy rags, disgusting, horrible. We think, oh, this is the best we have. No. We compare ourselves to the perfect blamelessness of, of God himself. We all fall short. Commentator John Dennis says this, when we take serious stock of our lives in light of the gospel, we must realize, we realize that we must repent. Listen to this. Not only of our sins, but also of the achievements that we would use to justify ourselves before God. Listen, friend, there, there is a way to think I've repented of my sins, but not to repent of the achievements that you use to try to justify yourself before God. To, to cling to a gospel of Jesus and church attendance, Jesus and my parents' faith. Friend, that will not save. The only, see, this is, this is what Paul is saying to us. Listen, the way to come to Jesus and the only way to come to Jesus is to take your resume of best deeds, the things you hold on and look around at everyone else and think, huh, <laughs> look what I've got, to take that and tear it up. You cannot come to Jesus without tearing up your list of righteous deeds that you try to justify yourself before him with. That's the only way. So what is the solution? Well, the solution is I want to give two applications today, two applications in the light of this text. They are salvation and standing. The first one is salvation. Listen, friends, your eternity rests on getting 
this right. Your confidence must be in Jesus and not in the flesh. Listen, I I grew up in church and I learned in church how to be the quote unquote good kid. I learned the right Bible answers. I learned the way that you were supposed to talk to adults. I didn't act out according like some of the other kids were. It helped that I wasn't cool or funny, so I had no temptation to disrupt the class. All I really had was the sword drill thing that I could find the verse faster than other people, and so I kind of leaned into that. And listen, growing up, it's easy to sort of be like, okay, I'm a good kid. And it was funny, somebody that I knew years ago the other day told me, hey, man, I didn't know you became a pastor, but that totally makes sense. You were always a good kid. And I thought, that is exactly the opposite of what the Bible says. That in fact, good kids, quote unquote, are in some of the greatest danger in the world because they think I must be good and they do not see their need for Jesus. See, Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18 that I'm gonna update a little, but it's probably familiar to do, familiar to you. He tells a parable about two people that come into church. One is the classic best case church going person, the guy that always gave money to the church, the guy that never missed a church service, the guy that never cheated on his taxes or his spouse. And he came to the Lord and prayed, Lord, I thank you that I am not like other men. See what he's doing? What he's bringing as the ground of his salvation before the Lord is I'm not like them. And Jesus says, there's another guy that walks into church. This guy is a drug dealer. This guy is covered in gang tattoos. And this guy falls on his face. He's a mess. He's crying. And he cries out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, that guy goes home justified rather than the other one. Because that guy... (laughs) knows and understands the only way to salvation is to lean wholly on Jesus. Whereas the other guy is thinking, I'm glad I'm not like them. Friend, if you are a good person, you may well need to repent and come to Jesus. It doesn't do you any good on the last day to to say, well, Jesus, I'm glad we're here now. And as you could see, I'm much better than these people. That will not save you. That will not save you. Turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. And it means, friends, today it may mean you finally tearing up that resume and leaning on him. But listen, if you're one of the quote-unquote bad people, I've talked to some folks that say, man, when I come into church, I I feel self-conscious because it just... It just seems like other people have their lives together and I feel self-conscious. It just feels like their marriage is good and mine fell apart. Their kids are better behaved and mine are falling apart. They don't struggle with the things that I do. And and, and they've even said, that's why I don't come to church sometimes. Friend, here is the good news of the gospel. You today are in some ways better positioned to receive God's grace because you're aware of your need for it. And if you get to the point that you say, holy Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, 
I put my trust in you, not in me. Friend, that is where the grace of God will meet you. And one last comment. Friends, we, we need to be careful in the church that when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus, we never proclaim a gospel to the lost of Jesus and blank. That those people in our family or our neighbors, we never give the impression that the things that we do in following Jesus are the ground of our salvation. As if, if you come to Jesus, you need to do this first and then he will save you. You need to have this political affiliation and then he'll save you. You need to come to church at least four Sundays in a row and then go forward and pray the prayer, right? You need to get your parenting together, your marriage together. No, the gospel is not Jesus and anything. The gospel is Jesus alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Because anything else is less than good news. Anything else is, is folly. That's salvation. Second application is standing. What happens often is that in our faith, we drift back into putting our confidence in the flesh. We begin as Christians, yes, Lord, I lean wholly on you. And then we begin to drift a little bit from it. We think, oh, of course I was saved through Jesus alone, faith alone, Christ alone. But I actually have turned out pretty well. I think the Lord probably saw some potential in me. When we think about our standing before God, we begin to rewrite our history. We begin to think that maybe it's a little bit of our goodness that the Lord saw with a twinkle in his eye and said, oh, that one. This is legalism, friends, and it is so subtle and it is so dangerous. I want to give you a few quick ways um, from a friend of mine named Stephen, a few quick ways that he sees legalism in his heart. Some signs of legalism in your life as a Christian. First, you lack joy. If your Christianity is never joyful, if your relationship with God is never joyful, you may be a legalist. Because leaning on Christ fully and wholly produces the kind of joy that we see in the letter to the Philippians. You think, man, come what may, I have Christ, and in that I can be confident and joyful. Second, you feel like God is always unhappy with you. Now listen, you, you sin against God, you know God is grieved, you repent, that's good. That, that's a good thing, that's what we're called to do. But if you have kind of a pervasive feeling, like God never rejoices over you, that is wrong. Something is wrong. If there's never a moment where you just rejoice in the matchless grace of God, something is off. If you feel like you're never doing enough and you cannot rest in God's presence, right? When a sin comes, rather than going to the Lord and seeking forgiveness, you think, okay, I will do that, but first let me read my Bible a bit and make sure to go to community group and, and then repent. Or you try to add good works to your repentance in that way. Last one, this is so convicting for me. You are always hard on others. When you can't forgive people unless they do this or that, when you walk around always frustrated with people, friend, I would guess that probably the same thing is true of your relationship with God. Because you don't understand grace you think a little bit, well, I'm good, and so he treats me this way. That's why he saved me. And so you bring that attitude into your marriage, into your family, into your coworkers, with the people around you. Now listen, when we detect these signs of legalism, they are sinful, 
but there is a glorious solution, and that is to once again lean on the salvation of Christ. When we come to Christ, we should not go on sinning. I'm not saying that, as we're going to cover in a couple weeks. But we're, we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as we read in Philippians chapter 2. But our working out of our salvation never becomes the ground on which we stand before God. Our salvation from first to last is Jesus alone. Listen, I have fought this stuff my whole Christian life. I like to say, um, sometimes with a smile, that I am a recovering Pharisee. That is my default, right? And there was a moment last summer when I was on sabbatical where I was beginning to see several areas in my life that I was sinful in, that I needed major changes in, and it was hard to see these things. And so I was kind of going for a walk by the beach, and I remember feeling, like seeing these areas and feeling them weigh on me. And you know what I started doing? I started thinking of plans to fix them before I went to the Lord and tried to relate to him. Like, I didn't just go to prayer, oh, Lord, you know, here's an area, I'm going to give this to you. No, I I went to, okay, so this area, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this and this and this. So there's that one. And then the other area, I'm going to do this and this and this. Okay, and I'll do that for a while, and then I feel like I'll be back with the Lord. And I felt like, and this this doesn't happen a lot, but I felt like the Lord gave me an impression. He said, let me have it. See, I had my sin in my hand. And rather than going and taking it to the Lord, I was like, no, I can fix this. I can fix this, at least a little bit. At least it won't look quite as bad when I bring it to the Lord. And I felt the Lord just gently calling me, let me have it. Friends, there's this beautiful scripture in Micah 7, 19, where it says, you will again have compassion. You will hurl our iniquities into the heart of the sea. And as I looked out on the ocean, literally on the beach by myself, I started laughing. I started laughing like a crazy person, right? If you'd walked by me, you see everybody looking around, and then there's a guy on his knees in the sand laughing. But I laughed because I thought, I can't believe it. The gospel really is that good that me, in my worst moments of sinfulness, when I become aware of who I actually am, God does not call me to go and do a bunch of good deeds and bring those to him, and then he'll see what we can work out, but rather I can take this in the power of Christ and hurl it into the sea, and it's paid forever. And friends, that is the joy that this passage calls us to today. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong in Pastor Ricky call the book of Philippians the happiest book in the Bible? As we've been discovering in this series, it's because of the incredible good news the Apostle Paul has to share with us all. Pastor Ricky has been teaching verse by verse through this short but powerful New Testament letter, emphasizing the joy that can only be found in the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. We hope you've caught some of that joy as you listen today. If you want to listen to today's message again, or explore more of the teachings available from Better News Radio, we'd encourage you to visit our website, betternewsradio.com. 
There you can also find more information about this ministry and subscribe to our podcast. Be sure to check out Pastor Ricky's Better News book, available for free online. This book answers questions about who Jesus is, why we all need to know Him, and how this knowledge can completely change our world. Feel free to download or share it with someone who may be asking these questions. We're so blessed to have you as our listeners, and we're thrilled that you joined us today. If you ever have any questions for us or would like to share a prayer request with us, please send an email to radio at betternewsradio.com. We'll reply as soon as we can, and we'll start praying even sooner. That email again is radio at betternewsradio.com. Thanks for tuning in to our program today. Join Pastor Ricky Alcantad next time to keep studying the happiest book in the Bible right here on Better News Radio.